0: God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Bo Hoffman is a business attorney in central Pennsylvania. He grew up in an evangelical Christian home and attended undergraduate school where he played football for Shippensburg University. He attended law school at Regent University, which was founded by 700 Club pastor Pat Robertson, after he began putting his analytical training to work, cross-examining his faith, some of his long-held tenets of faith came crashing down. Bo, welcome to Messy Spirituality. Thanks a lot, Jason. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Bo, tell us about your background. Who is Bo Hoffman, and what were you raised to believe?
1: Sure. Um, I was raised, like you had mentioned, in a pretty conservative evangelical home, Uh Grew up going to a Wesleyan church that, when I was, I don't know, probably two years old, had about fifty members. Um, currently, right now, I think they have almost two thousand um, there every week. So, and I- I'd consider my probably my mother was the biggest spiritual influence on me growing up, and I'd consider a pretty devout, um, a-, a real devout faith. Was very uh, dedicated with reading, studying, praying. But if I had to kind of say what I grew up with, it was probably that I heard differently than what was being said to me, I guess. I I didn't always receive exactly what was being said. So um, as I grew up, I kind of realized it's because I have this analytical mindset. Um, But when when I would hear sermons that would um, maybe just touch on the cross or touch on original sin or um, touch on penal substitutionary atonement theory— Um, People may not have interpreted that the same way I always did. Uh, So I interpreted that to mean I was evil at my core and God despised me. I interpreted that to mean that um, God couldn't look at me because of how disgusting and evil I was, that I was totally depraved and there was nothing about me that God liked. Um, So Jesus was kind of this intermediary that protected me from God um, and made it so that God never had to see me. But If God ever did see me, he certainly wouldn't like what he saw. So um, I was raised, again, not that I was ever told that expressly, but that's how I interpreted everything, and um, kind of in this extremely fear-based relationship slash not relationship with God. So I was um, trying to read my Bible to uh, appease God, trying to pray a lot to to appease him, do um, things that I thought would make him less angry at me, and ultimately just a lot of uh, stress and fear and insecurity. So I was a pretty insecure person going throughout high school, um, and that led to a little bit of a, a, what I would say, drinking problem when I got to college, which isn't too uncommon for people, but um, probably walked away from my faith, I would say, at that time, and just thought it was something I'd come back to later in life. But on my 21st birthday, I got arrested, and that, that probably br- brought me back to the seriousness of my faith, although it was still a really strict, legalistic, um, do-all-the-right-things kind of, kind of faith. So um, I guess that's kind of how I was raised, what I believed growing up, and how it impacted me.
0: It sounds like we have a pretty similar background when it comes to legalism mm-hmm. and beating ourselves up in the name of God. When did the ice begin to crack in your childhood faith?
1: I'd say the ice probably really began to crack when I started practicing law. It's probably about five years ago. Um, may have cracked a little sooner, but I was at Regent, and that was uh, kind of a common belief system to have there with Pat Robertson and, and stuff. So, um, But when I got out of that, started practicing law, I began to kind of apply some of my Legal training, my analytics, my cross examination type techniques to my faith, and um, trying to get answers. Why, you know, why would a, a God that created me and says I'm made in His image and likeness uh, despise me? That doesn't make sense to me. Why would a God that says He is love um, have to murder His own Son and um, pour out His wrath on Jesus on the cross? That didn't make sense to me. Why would a God that says He is love? Um, send people to a fiery hell for all of eternity, uh, including the same God that says that's evil when Hitler did it. Pretty much he condemned Jews to the same thing as soon as they um, got out of the torture chambers of Auschwitz. So at that point in my life, probably about five years ago, the ice started to crack and I started to really analyze and think and, and start to research for myself some of these concepts.
0: Was there a catalyst? Was there an author, a speaker, a book? Was there something that led you down that road of seeking out a faith of your own separate from the faith of your upbringing?
1: Probably a few, but probably the biggest catalyst was honestly looking at a few people in my life, uh, people I actually knew who had a way that they lived their lives that was really appealing to me, that they actually loved really well. And I looked at them and I thought, how could these people seem more loving, and more kind than God. Um, The God that they seem to be following, uh, which looks really appealing to me, does not seem to be the same God that I'm following. And so that was probably the biggest catalyst, at which point I started uh, probably looking into some things more and analyzing some things. And at a Bible study I was a part of, one of my friends about the same time uh, showed a video by Brian Zond, which was kind of calling out nationalism. And I was pretty steeped in that at that My biblical beliefs were strongly tied to my love for my guns and um, the concept that as a Christian nation, God was always on our side and opposed all of our enemies. So that video offended me at the time, but it also made me start digging a lot more.
0: Uh, How far into the gun culture were you? Were you like carrying all the time?
1: Yes, I was. I was, because of how I thought God viewed me, totally depraved evil to the core couldn't be trusted i viewed other people the same way um so i was you know I, I had my concealed carry permit and i had a gun on my hip everywhere i went anywhere i could carry um and i mean i had it was not uncommon for me to wake up in the middle of the night hearing something and uh you know grab my gun grab my tactical flashlight and clear the house um so yeah that was that was a pretty common event for me
0: what was the first big doctrine to fall during your spiritual renovation?
1: It was probably, at the time, I don't even know that I knew it was a doctrine, um, but it was probably a combination of original sin and penal substitutionary atonement theory um, coming to the realization that God could actually love me, um, that I could actually be in a relationship with God, that God could actually see me as I am, um, mess ups and all, see me in this process and love me. Uh, so that was that was probably the first one to really fall, um, and I'll say it's also kind of tied with um, the concept of the wrath of God and all that.
0: How has this renovation changed you personally, and how are you a different person today than you were five years ago?
1: Sure. I, I would say the, the concept of no longer having a fear-based faith um, changed pretty much everything about me, so you know, I've, I've shifted to a position of nonviolence, believing that Jesus, you know, was nonviolent, told us to love our enemies, and that I'm, I'm free from fear. So I'm free to love people and see them the way that I believe God actually sees them. You know, I believe that I will um, inherently believe that God will act towards me the way I want God to act towards my enemies. So if I view uh, my enemies and want, wrath and vengeance on them, it's pretty hard for me to think that God won't also treat me that way, um, which is why I think the command to love our enemies is so powerful and so revolutionary that when we truly can love our enemies, we can actually believe that God will love us no matter how we are acting towards God, um, that God's position is steadfast in love toward us no matter what. And that's such a freeing feeling.
0: The nonviolence is a pretty big shift for you, right? Not only did you mentioned earlier Bip, yeah, carrying a gun everywhere you went and kind of reacting in fear and grabbing that gun to take control of the situation. But you had mentioned to me earlier that you were also kind of a bully in school. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah, that is true. I think out of my insecurities a lot in high school, it it probably shifted in college. I was then more um, aware of faith and I was steeped in legalism. So I tried to never do anything wrong, you know, at that point. But at least in high school, I was super insecure and reacted out of my insecurities a lot. I was really mean to even my closest friends. People knew me as the jerk, um, the person who would always get aggressive, get loud, get violent. Um, And it was a really, really bad, I I guess, time in my life where I was just really upset um, and not happy with, with who I was. But I didn't know I didn't know what I was looking for, so I, I, I was always reacting out of that insecurity and out of that anger.
0: Let's talk about where you are today on a few theological issues. Today, who do you believe that God is?
1: Uh, today, I believe that God is love. And when we talk about that, we, I'm sure you and I have both seen and, and reposted this, that God is agape type of love, which is other-centered, self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. Um, that God is a God that is always in a position of steadfast kindness and love towards um, all of humanity, all of the people that he made in his image.
0: So if that is your, the source of your life, what does that tell you about who you are?
1: It tells me that I am beloved, exactly, exactly how I am, exactly how I'm made. I can come face to face with a God uh, who says he is love. And that perfect love casts out all fear, so I don't need to be in this fear-based type relationship with God um, that's based on my insecurities and anxiety. But it's uh, truly a, a free, open, loving, kind, intimate relationship with a God that I think is actually a good and loving parent. What do you think God
0: wants from you today?
1: Probably just to more fully understand how good and loving He is, um, how good and loving He is towards me and how fully loved and accepted I am so that I can then share that with others. You know, I, I've i always kind of been evangelical in the fact that I always wanted to share the message or share a message. Uh, it's just that now the message is actually good news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we called it that
0: for a long time, but it wasn't really, was it?
1: <laughs> That's right. And, and it, it shocked me that nobody nobody was interested in the message I was trying to share. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I why, why don't you want this message? And now all of a sudden, it's like, out of the blue, people are just messaging me all the time saying, you know, wanted to talk, asking me questions. And it's when it's actually good news, um, it's amazing how attractive it is to people. Yeah, absolutely. Where
0: are you today on the doctrine of original sin? Do you believe that we're born broken and flawed and depraved? Or do you believe something different than that?
1: I believe something different than that. There's a really good book by Daniel Schroyer, uh, called Original Blessing, and it really helped me um, come to a different position on original sin. You know, it is absolutely inherent in my life that I can certainly have a tendency to be selfish, greedy, um, want to keep all of my money for myself and not bless others. And so she she does a great job in that book wrestling with what she calls just the human condition of always struggling to want to be like the uh, image and likeness of God in which we're created but yet at the same time struggling because we want to provide for ourselves, and That's natural. Um, fear and anxiety and those things are so natural to sneak into our lives, but it's not because we're created totally depraved or evil. You know, Adam and Eve had the ability to do good and wrong before the fall, and mankind has always had the opportunity to do good and evil um, ever since then.
0: Where are you at on penal substitutionary atonement now?
1: Oh, I do not believe penal substitutionary atonement theory anymore. I think, I think original sin and, and penal substitutionary atonement theory have been such watered down concepts. I guess that, like I said when I was growing up, they were never preached in the fullness of, I guess the the, the gusto of their message. You know, it was kind of just said, oh, original sin, penal substitutionary atonement theory. But the fullness of like what those doctrines actually mean was really probably watered down when it was taught to me. Um, so when I actually kind of studied both those messages more, it's like man I, I just I can't believe that and I don't anymore. you know I believe second Corinthians 5:19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins um, against them. So I think that God was in Christ, not separate and apart from Christ. I believe that God was recon- reconciling the world to himself. It wasn't God who needed reconciling to mankind. Um, And I believe that God was never counting our sins against us, that he was always forgiving and loving. And I guess I I now I'd say I hold to the more Eastern Orthodox view on atonement that death needed defeated, but that as God, God couldn't die. So he had to take on the flesh of humanity. um, And in doing so, he revealed the true heart of God to us. And at the same time, as human, he could endure death to defeat it from the inside. And in doing so then could vanquish the captives and set us free.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. You know, we we live in a I don't know, an evangelical culture that seems to think that if God didn't kill Jesus to take out the vengeance on our sin, then there's no reason to believe in the cross, there's no be- reason to believe in a resurrection, there's no reason to believe All right that what Jesus did in his life accomplished anything. Yeah. And so what, what do you say to someone? Uh, we're both on Facebook. Facebook is a zoo sometimes. <laughs> and when you, start, <laughs> when you start saying things like Jesus didn't die to appease his father, uh, you get some questions, pretty straightforward questions. Why did Jesus die? Now, you've partially answered that in your previous answer, but it, let's just take that question on its own. Why did Jesus have to die if it wasn't to appease an angry God?
1: Sure. I think um, he—well, I think there's kind of two parts in it. I think he had to die to defeat death, uh, but I also think he—maybe not necessarily had to, but he died in the way he did because we murdered him and humanity crucified him. Um, I don't think that was necessarily God's intent that it would be um, that way, but yet because it was, Jesus could on the cross— um, cry out, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do, and show us the magnitude and the enormity of God's love in that moment. So,
0: what happens to us after we die?
1: Well, the uh, the common American belief is that if you're not holy enough, righteous enough in your life, then you are burnt forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't really believe that anymore. I don't. Looking back on my life, it's just, I guess, kind of sad because I used the quality, for a lack of a better word, of my own life to determine what salvation actually meant, what getting out of hell actually meant. So if, you know, I, I kind of looked at my own sins and, and said, well, those weren't that bad. I asked for forgiveness for those. Those are fine. Um, but these other people, man, look at their sins. Those, those are ones that are definitely deserving of hell. And so I've, I've shifted out of that mindset, out of believing in eternal conscious torment, and instead believing that both heaven and hell are this idea of uh, the overwhelming presence and awareness of God's love, that if God's love is eternal, if God's love is steadfast, if God's love is never-ending, then when you die, you become completely and fully aware of that. And if you turn towards that love, it's overwhelmingly good, warming, a uh, great feeling um, but if it's a love that you are aware of, but yet fleeing from, uh, that could be tor- you know, a torment, tormenting feeling. But I, I have this view that as Jesus died, we saw he went down into Hades, um, set the captives free. We see in Revelations that Jesus now holds the keys to Hades. So if that's true, what will he do with the keys? And if that's true, how long can people run from the love of God? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Maybe it's forever. I certainly hope it's not. So I guess that's where I'm kind of at with that that question now, and I don't know that we'll ever have an answer to that.
0: You know, when I started talking on social media about nonviolence, uh, I got a very similar response that I now get when I start talking about the end of the view of eternal conscious torment. Uh, What about Hitler? That's always the question, Uh, whether it's with nonviolence or there not being an eternal – Flaming pit of hell where God dumps the people He rejects. Um, so, what do you do? Uh, let's talk. Take it first from the nonviolent perspective. Uh, how do you answer the question? Well, what about people like Hitler? Or you know, the other question is always: somebody breaks into your house and they hold a gun to your wife's head. What are you going to do with your nonviolence?
1: Sure. Well, well, not so much about the Hitler one, but about the one where someone breaking into my house. I, I wrote about that recently in just my journey and the way I. I feel at least about that, and I've never had to deal with it, so I don't know how I'd react in the situation. But I want to give love a shot at actually producing a miraculous event. I don't think if I shoot someone to kill them and protect myself that that's a miracle. Um, I think if someone breaks into my home, I can recognize that they are obviously going through something in their life that they're hurting and broken, um, and that if I love them and if I truly try to love that person, that scenario maybe, just maybe something miraculous can actually happen. Uh, Maybe that person's hungry. Maybe that person um, doesn't have anybody that's ever showed them kindness in their life. And I would hope that my first reaction uh, would be to try to let love make a difference in that person's life instead of um, simply resorting with the same kind of violence that they showed me. Wow. So is that what you
0: believe God does in the afterlife with somebody like Hitler?
1: Yeah. So I guess what i When I think about the afterlife, I think that we have conflated so many terms just to mean the same thing. So punishment, judgment, wrath, Hades, um, Gehenna, all these words we just think mean the exact same thing. So I think there is still this type of judgment process that that everybody um, will ultimately go through. So I don't think it's just, oh, you are an extremely unloving person, you die, you wake up, and everything's blissful in heaven. Um, I think that you really are confronted with the love of God. And I think that uh, to enjoy and reap the benefits of the love of God, you need to be made into the, the image or um, made into that same love. And for some people, if they're continuing to reject that, you know, I don't know what exactly that looks like, but it could be a, a long and painful process. Um, you know, So for Hitler, is he just going to wake up and, and the day after he died and everything's going to be perfect? I don't think so. I think it's still going to be a process where he is made into love, and um, you know what what that process looks like, how long it might take, if it ever actually happens. I don't, you know, I don't have all those answers. And I think, I think the original church was okay saying we don't really know these type of things, but we hope uh, we hope that process happens, um, and that's kind of where I'm at with it.
0: Fantastic. I love the the view that you're presenting there. In your view, what is the church's most pressing need
1: today? Probably to be able to truly and completely see all people as if they're made in the image and likeness of God. I mean, that's not something that I'm I'm coming up with and I've just become more progressive. You know, that's straight out of Scripture, that God uh, made mankind in His image and likeness. And I think if we can truly see people, you know, see past their pain, see past the crud in their lives, and speak to the likeness of God and others— that we would see love, restoration, healing, joy, happiness um, take off around us like wildfire.
0: Are you still an evangelical?
1: I would say I am still absolutely an evangelical. When, when, when I break the word down to what it really means, sharing um, the good news, wanting to tell people um, the good news, I, I absolutely am. I am as vocal, if not probably more vocal than I've ever been about uh, God. It's just that my message has shifted a lot. I honestly only have good news now. My message used to be based on fear, but that message has come face-to-face with perfect love and it kind of completely tore my my message apart. And now it's now it's one of, honestly, I think it is perfect love. You know, I'm talking about God, His nature as perfect love. And so I am open, evangelical. I share it more than I ever have.
0: Yep. So in that sense, maybe you're more evangelical than you've ever been.
1: Yeah, I am. I think so. Probably more evangelical than I've ever been. It's just that my... My evangelical faith is not tied now to politics or fear or, or othering, you know, groups of people. Um, it's just solely focused on God and who God is.
0: Well, Bo, I really appreciate you spending time with me today. Um, I'm looking for great things from you in the future. I really do believe that you are one of the emerging voices that God is raising up to challenge preconceived notions about who God is and— uh, who we are, and I just see you having some very fruitful interactions on social media. And I'm so grateful for you and your life and the gospel that you're preaching. What projects do you have in the works? What can we look forward to you in the future?
1: Well, I'm going to always try to keep uh, stirring the pot a little bit on Facebook. I love doing that. Um, Always sharing whatever it is that God puts on my heart. So you can uh, find me there, um, see what I'm writing about. I also kind of have two ideas for books I'd like to write. One is based on the parables. Now, I had set a kind of a goal for me to have an outline of that done by the end of the year. Thankfully, it's just a parable, so I can just list what they are and that outline's completed. Um, The other one is probably more so along the lines of my kind of my journey and how words have always meant so much to me growing up and that. Um, Even an unintended word could mean a lot of damage to me, so I wanted to kind of start the process of maybe creating a book that wrestles through a lot of Christian lingo or Christian cliches that I think have a lot of negative impact on people, a lot of harmful fruit, um, and helping people stop saying those type of words, think about the words that they use a little more carefully, um, and ultimately speak more carefully about the goodness and love of God. Awesome. Well, we'll look
0: forward to that. How can people find you online if they'd like to engage this conversation further?
1: Sure. Um, on Facebook, Beau Hoffman B E A U. Um, I'm on Instagram or on uh, yeah Instagram as well, so people could check me out on there and see what I'm rating. And I I always welcome comments, messages. I encourage people to reach out to me, especially if you're going through um, a, a period of restructuring your beliefs and are afraid to share that with other people, I would love to talk with you and just encourage you as you're going through that. So feel free to reach out. Awesome.
0: Bo, I love you, brother. I appreciate your time today, and I'm really grateful to get a chance to talk to you.
1: Thanks a lot, man. Love you too.
0: You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at messyspirituality.org help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.